How important is your resume? Veterans Day came and went, but what do veterans do the other days of the year? Don Cherry, Disney Plus. All this and more on this week's Ease in a Pod. Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for coming on board with us. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts, at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. Let's jump into today's show proper with Rearview Mirror. Chris, over to you. What caught my attention last week was the hubbub around the Uber CEO's comments on the Axios HBO show on Sunday. Yeah, give us a little Uh, bit more about that. Specifically, what grabbed people's attention was he was asked about um, earlier comments he had made on the murder of uh, Washington Post reporter Jamal Khashoggi. And he kind of danced around it and danced around the relationship that Uber has with the Saudi government and the role that they play in funding and management of the board of directors, originally calling the death a mistake and, you know, basically saying, hey, you know, people can learn from their mistakes and move forward. And after the backlash, he was forced to not only backtrack with myriad audiences, to steal a word from John, probably the most important audience was his shareholders and the internal uh, leadership there at Uber. And this is one of many PR blunders for Uber, in which I would call unforced errors. What caught my attention, in addition to just sort of the insensitivity and the unpreparedness, it made me think of media training and the calculus that goes into deciding uh, whether to do an interview and what to say during that, that interview. When the three of us get together and we talk to executives, we run them through that checklist. Uh, the biggest part of the checklist is, you know, is this the right venue? Are you the right spokesman? Um, do you have your talking points uh, prepared? And have you, as part of that preparation, have you thought of the five questions that you want mm-hmm. to be asked, that you think you'll be asked, and that you don't want to be asked? Again, rounding on that preparation. What, what I was struck with was just how unprepared and unnecessary the right. whole thing seemed. Why, why do that interview to begin with? Um, it has nothing to do with, uh, in, in the big picture, it seemed to have nothing to do with uh, advancing the goals of the company of Uber. Mm-hmm. And uh, really the best you could do is break even or um, make an unforced error like he did. So all of that, in addition to his uh, poor choice of words, uh, caught, caught my attention. Just one of those things when you talk about communications, branding, messaging, uh, all those things that tie into the elevation um, or the or the 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 you know the evenness uh, of your of your company's brand. Uh, it's very simple, uh, or can should be should be right. Uh, very simple uh, to keep you keep yourself above water um, and prepare for things like that. And what I think what we saw there, and Chris, uh, to the point you were making just unnecessary. Had there been some preparation, it would not have happened. I think this is going to continue to be an issue, especially as CEOs become the traditional politicians and thought leaders um, that we were used to in the 70s and 80s from, you know, actual traditional politicians. I mean, there's this thought going around that 
people look to CEOs for leadership on social issues or leadership on beyond just economic and corporate issues, they are where we will get a cultural conscience. I, I think it makes that calculus all the more important for uh, corporate communicators and for CEOs. I, I don't think you can just go out there and wing it. I, I think you really have to know what you want to talk about and more importantly, what you don't want to talk about. That was what I was going to jump on is I think that the the issue here really is arrogance. And and the three of us saw it in the Navy with flag officers. Um, people don't rise to the rank of being a flag officer, or being a CEO, or being a very successful leader, either politically or, or in the business world, without some level of arrogance. Um, you can just see it all over uh, Mark Zuckerberg's face whenever he testifies in front of Congress. The challenge for communicators out there is to, is to see that arrogance and speak truth to power um, to try to uh, bottle that arrogance up. And, and to Chris's point, make sure that, that you know exactly why you're putting this person out there in an environment or in an engagement that could bring that arrogance bubbling to the surface and then crush you. That's the age old problem. And, and again, to Chris's point, I, I think it'll just become more and more prevalent as we go forward, as the walls are broken down that separate the media and untraditional audiences, for that matter, from CEOs, communicators have a challenge on their hands to try to keep them bottled up. Sometimes you don't want them to be bottled up. In this particular case, I think Uber probably wanted their boy to be bottled up. Well said, John. Uh, with anything else that you saw in your rearview mirror? Uh, that was really it for me. That, that's the, the big one. Um, th just the last thing I'll say is if uh, the, the tip uh, for those at home, if you find yourself in an interview and the interviewer asks your boss about Jamal Khashoggi, um, I, I would pull the fire alarm immediately. <laughs> well, it, that's, great point. That's <laughs> that's exactly it's exactly the case. You know why why talk about that? And that that's a nice segue into my rearview mirror. And that that was the the issue as I'm picking up on on what people in the sports world say and whether it gets them fired uh the the canadian broadcaster don cherry uh this past week uh who is if you follow hockey a total icon if you're canadian uh he's almost royalty uh but he's he's a very he's a very interesting personality he has a lot of cases in his past where he's He's said some things that were right, right there on the cusp of appropriateness or political correctness. Mm -hmm. uh, this past week, uh, as we were uh, going through Remembrance Day um, uh, in the UK and in, and in Canada, you know, their 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 version of Veterans Day, so to speak. Uh, Don Cherry made a specific point of calling out immigrants, um, you know, and basically, you know, what he was saying between the lines was brown people for not respecting this age-old tradition of wearing a poppy flower um, on your clothing during this time of remembering um, people from their, uh, you know, from their country and from, from days past. And, you know, why, why come out and say it? And I know that he's an 85-year-old man and probably just an angry, ornery human being. He was, he was a little viral last year for criticizing the Carolina Hurricanes hockey team for their, you know, very non-traditional, you know, taking hockey to the next level, 
uh, post-game celebrations. They would do like limbo. They would do all these bizarro things after they won a hockey game. And Don mm-hmm. Cherry basically came out and, and flipped out on him for it. And now he's flipping out on immigrants. Uh, and what happened to him? They made him apologize. Uh, the, the Canadian version of ESPN really uh, then waited for all of the for all of the rancor to come in for all of the feedback and and they listened. Uh, you know, I'm not going to poke Major League Baseball and and Rob Drake the umpire again here, but but these guys listened to the feedback, uh, saw how the apology really resonated with people, which really wasn't that good, and then they fired, um, which I thought was a pretty bold move for a pretty iconic guy. I can't think of. I can't think of really the the American broadcasting version right now, um, maybe other than like you know Joe Buck or or something like that. But this is a color commentator who's who's a legendary hockey player and coach. So uh, good good on uh, the Canadian broadcasting company who 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 showed Don Cherry the door and and just like we were talking about in Chris's review just watch what you say. And, and there are certain political issues, um, which, which get you out of your swim lane as a sports commentator or as an Uber CEO, um, stay in your lane, um, and, and stay away from political issues because invariably they say something dumb and it costs them a job and it should. John, I think it was quite revealing. I, I know we each, uh, uh, listen to the Tony Kornheiser show with, with some sort of frequency, uh, his podcast that he does prior to, to PTI. Uh, but it was eye-opening to me as they began to pontificate on on what happened here, how it could have happened. And then there was this one small remark uh, Tony made about uh, Wilbon saying to him, like, of all the things, like, Don Cherry has been saying stuff for for years, and this was the one that got him. And then he started to go on and talk about Don, you know, like the Don Imuses of the world, uh, and and other folks who, as culture moves along, as as the conversation moves along about what is the wrong thing to say versus the right thing to say, and how you say it, uh, what winds up getting people in trouble. Uh, and I, I mean, look, we right, we we see more of that with the whether it's the Me Too movement or, um, you know, racism and the discussion of our politics. Uh, so just, you know, as communicators, uh, we have to be paying attention uh, to these things so that we can, uh, you know, keep people on track and, uh, and ensure that uh, the people that we are working for and working with uh, stay away from that third rail. So, uh, yeah, so- the, the, the bar is really high now and you have to really watch what you say. And that, that puts, you know, Uber CEOs and broadcasters and, and, and news anchors, they, it puts them in a really, really delicate spot because I, I, I remembered very clearly when, when Kornheiser brought up the Don Imus example, mm-hmm. I, I listened to him when I was a kid and um, when I was living in Northern Jersey and he had the, uh, he had the New York based show. Yeah. Yeah. Those were, and again, this is the eighties and nineties. Those were downright, wildly inappropriate jokes bits like it, it, he was just untouchable and eventually it got mm-hmm. to the point where he was touchable and they fired him um I'm, I'm glad it happened this time with don cherry but it, it should make everyone out there say okay i i've really got to watch uh what i say um unless you're a major league baseball umpire that is I go back to that that checklist right it's why i love that checklist for both media training but also just in 
communication in, in general. Mm-hmm. If you became popular or if you built your brand because you're a hockey guy or you're a um, CEO or you're a communicator, or, you know, fill in the blank. Don't talk about stuff that's outside of that lane to, to, you know, both of your points, right? And if you start to stray outside of that lane, which given the technology and the communication venues that are available um, is very easy to do, right? You either feel emboldened or the safe place that you had carved out for yourself, a la Don Imus back in the 80s, is no longer safe because um, that space is now open to a much larger audience. If you find yourself straying outside of your brand, you're gonna get in trouble. You really, as a leader, as a communicator, you need to wrap your mind around that. And there are people that'll blame, and I know you weren't doing it, John, but there are people that will blame me too, or blame an increased racial um, sensitivity or blame you know, whatever sort of social phenomenon. It, to me, it's, it's, it's um, stupidity is now on display um, more than it's ever been. And if you make the mistake of being stupid, then you should be held accountable. There you go. In terms of my rearview mirror, I got a couple of things, few things, uh, some on the lighter side uh, and then some a, a tad more serious. Um, one thing right away, we're seeing more and more uh, in the news in this age of social media, everything is recorded. I can't even, I don't even know what I believe uh, half the time, uh, whether or not people are doing this just to get likes, they probably are. Um, or this is something that really happened. Can we stop with the gender reveals? Because quite frankly, people are getting killed. All right. Um, whether it's uh, a piece of shrapnel hitting on Edna, you know, in the head uh, and killing her or a plane uh, crop duster uh, crashing. I mean, it's whatever happened to going into the doctor and you, you, you know, the doctor says, do you want to know? And, and you say yes or no. Just just that simple. So I just there's always going to be fads, right? There's always going to be things that that people will emulate in popular culture uh, and want to, you know, go a little bit further. But these gender reveals are just uh, are just getting out of hand. Uh, and also, we talked about it last week. This LSU Alabama game game really lived, I, I guess, more than lived up to the hype. John, you said it first on the show that LSU was actually going to win the game, uh, and ju- you look at that halftime score of, I believe, thirty-three to thirteen. I mean, LSU was just running all over them. Uh, Alabama, you know, did some Alabama stuff in the second half. Uh, but the one thing we, the reason we brought that game up was more so about the president's uh, attendance at that game. And as, as everyone, well, I don't know if everyone saw this. Uh, I know it wasn't aired on television because they introduced the president uh, during a commercial break. Uh, raucous crowd, cheers uh, for him. Uh, and, but from the, you know, the communication side, Chris, you were very adamant about, you know, what's the, you know, what's the win here by doing that. And then to see that it was, it was eclipsed rather quickly by the president going to New York for Veterans Day, giving a speech where he was roundly, uh, protested. So yeah, we, you know, we can dissect that, uh, six ways from Sunday and just come up with the, Hey, look, you, you don't really gain anything. Uh, by searching for audiences in which you can get uh, a round of applause. So that's, that's all I'll say there. Uh, and just lastly, a very uh, a melancholy note here uh, that Marquise Jefferson, he's the father of Atashiana Jefferson, uh, who was actually, she's a Fort Worth, Texas resident, uh, who was shot and killed by a Fort Worth police officer inside of her home last month. Uh, well, her father, 58 years old, died of a heart attack uh, this past week 
And it's something that this day and age with the way the news cycle works, um, you know, didn't get much attention. Um, and I just felt I wanted to, I just wanted to say something about it because, well, you know, when we talk about police brutality or police violence uh, against, against black people, this conversation that has been going on and on and on. Uh, and we're going to even, we're going to bring up Colin Kaepernick a little bit later in the show. Like it has tentacles. All right. Uh, this man, 58 years old, there was a, a debate back and forth uh, with his family, just even trying to get this memorial and funeral uh, done. And the man died of a broken heart. Uh, let, let's call it what it is, uh, cardiac arrest at 58 years old. Um, and it's a conversation that will continue to go on. I know we don't have to have it, have it here, but like I said, I just wanted to draw some attention to it. So that's all I got. Gentlemen? I agree with you. Gender reveals are the stupidest thing on the face of the planet. And, and I'm going to sound like the old guy here complaining about my sciatica nerve and, and the Red Lobster Early Bird special. But yeah, it's, it's so emblematic of, of how self-centered people can be sometimes. And this isn't new. Uh, this isn't a new advent. This, I'm not blaming it on, on a new generation or anything like that. I just, I find it to be, um, I just find it to be unnecessary. Right. Uh, and, and social media plays a very large role in this. And, and I think that at the heart of this is a, a true desire to tell family um, what, what the gender of their baby is going to be. But the desire to have it become somewhat viral almost makes these people want to be reality stars. And, and that's a very jaded way of looking at it, I understand. But I just think they're effing dumb. Yeah. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. Um, <laughs> Thanks. It, it is, it is not lost on me that we're talking about this on our podcast. So, I mean, I, I get that people want to let other people in their circle know what they're thinking and see them. Um, but I guess, you know, I, I guess I feel somewhat better that we're probably not going to do this podcast from the top of a mountain or, you know, while bungee jumping or what, uh, whatever other <laughs> potentially dangerous uh, activity that has become associated with, uh, with gender reveals. Right. Although I will say that if any of our dozens of listeners want to uh, dial in and uh, reveal their gender for their child on this show, yeah. well, they're welcome to. Please do. It's a safe yeah, space. It's, yeah, it's a new, it's a new angle um, right. for our show. Oh, too much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, folks, we look back and when we return, we're going to deep dive. Stay with us. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. Go ahead. In Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. Gentlemen, last Monday was Veterans Day, formerly Armistice Day here in the United States, where we take time to acknowledge and salute those who have worn the cloth of our nation. We here at Provision Advisors in this podcast are each retired military officers, and we salute our fellow service members both in and out of uniform. We hope you all enjoyed the holiday as well as your family members. But we want to continue the discussion on this podcast and hope our listeners do as well 
and talk about just what matters in the lives of our veterans and how the systems in place to support them are helping or hurting. We've long heard of the trials and tribulations of our VA, our Veterans Administrations, and what they are trying to do across the country uh, and how our veterans don't always get the assistance that we need. That is an ongoing issue, uh, something that is prevalent in our lives and in the lives of service members, people that we've, uh, people that we've deployed with. So we want to talk about that here on this show. Uh, Chris, do you want to get us started about maybe your feelings and uh, what you've seen personally since you've retired? As we were planning for the show, we thought this would be a little bit of a free-form uh, deep dive. So I'll apologize up front for kind of the strings of consciousness no problem. Um, as, we, as we talk about this. First off, uh, I think that Veterans Day and Veterans Issues will continue to be, they will feel very niche and boutique to the rest of society as the um, amount of people qualified for military service and the amount of people that are propensed to serve and then the amount of people that actually serve continues to decrease over time. We will continue, we being veterans, will continue to be somewhat of an anomaly and somewhat of an oddity that at least for now people are celebrating. So that's sort of point one. Point two, it kind of goes without saying, making that transition from a very structured albeit imperfect uh, support system in the active duty to veteran life is a pretty big jump um, mm -hmm. and one that we all are kind of working through. And my personal uh, experience has been pretty positive. Uh, I've been pretty uh, happy with the communication that I've received from the Veterans Administration. I've been pretty happy with the um, level of customer service. Now, I, that view is colored by the fact that I had very low expectations going in. Um, and so, you know, the bar was pretty low. And so they've, you know, kind of met that low bar. And that's an important um, distinction that you just brought yeah, up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is. Um, now, I will give lots of credit to the Obama administration and to the Trump administration on the progress that's been made on veterans issues. Okay. I, uh, I think there's a long way to go, but I, you know, I don't want to just uh, throw daggers and, yeah. yep. and, and poke. Um, la lastly, I'll say that um, there are a lot of good voices out there in the, um, in the veterans issues space. I really like uh, Fred and his team at Scout Comms. I really like uh, the folks at IAVA. I like others that are out there talking about veterans' issues um, with a high degree of passion and experience. To kind of harken back to the first segment, it, it's not an area that I particularly want to be um, a vocal advocate in. I mean, be, beyond wanting to help um, my fellow veterans and you know be a good citizen. So I mean, it's not something that I have felt compelled that, to that space to fill because I think there are a lot of good voices out there. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of oversight. And I mean, there's a lot of work that still needs to, to be done. I know those were sort of three random thought streams. Um, but I mean, this is a great time of year to think about all of that and then try to figure out how to carry that on beyond just 11 November, the month of November. How, how do we sort of make this a bigger discussion topic for a larger portion of society. Right. John, over to you. I'll jump on a couple of things you said there that, that I agree. There are great voices out there. As I was criticizing social media in the previous segment, I'll, I'll, I'll point to it as a, 
not a savior, but a really helpful force multiplier for me in getting my information. Um, that includes podcasts, uh, the Zero Blog 30 podcast, which I listen to um, almost religiously, has, has really become this huge, uh, powerful voice uh, for veterans to get information, for veterans to commiserate, for veterans to laugh. Uh, it's a podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously, but it, they're owned by Barstool Sports and, and the, the three hosts of uh, Zero Blog 30 sort of challenged their listeners and challenged the rest of Barstool Sports to, um, to raise money for veterans' causes. And, and at the end of the day, um, like in 24 hours, uh, something that went pretty viral on on social media, and if you followed Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy is a pretty large personality with Barstool Sports. Um, he, he matched what the Zero Blog 30 uh, crew raised from its listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in the end, Barstool Sports ended up giving 180K, um, you know, or getting, raising 180K for veterans. That's, that's huge. Um, and, and there, there are a lot of other good um, voices out there that, that deliver information like Wounded Warrior Project and Headstrong. They are very prevalent on social media and, and then there are individuals um, who, who are also uh, pretty powerful. Um, you know, Travis Akers is one of those guys. He's yeah. a, he's a very well-known veteran on, on social media. Um, you know, you can count on Travis at least in the last 60 days to have a daily tweet about veterans and having, and, and a daily tweet about his battle to maintain sobriety, which is actually very, uh, it's, it's heartening to see that and that he's a very, he's a very upfront, um, veteran about the struggles he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Travis also is very upfront about his political leanings and his political likes and dislikes. And, and he saw a tweet from the veterans benefits, Twitter handle, you know, through the VA an official government entity, Twitter handle, uh, tweet something out, thanking Sebastian Gorka for some particular advocacy for for veterans and and Travis to make a long story short Travis tweeted at at the vet benefits uh, account like is there any particular reason why you guys are putting a tweet out and endorsing a Nazi Um, and and Travis a veteran uh, dependent on this Twitter handles parent organization the Veterans Administration was blocked by this Twitter account. Um, and when I saw that, it pissed me off. And I'm still effing pissed about it. Uh, Travis was later unblocked. He hasn't really received um, a good explanation. There's an explanation out this morning uh, that's really convoluted and written by a low-grade, untalented public affairs official at the VA, no doubt. It, it's just bad. Um, and, and there's really no contrition, really no acknowledgement that, that a government entity uh, blocked a veteran um, for essentially just using the term Nazi and taking issue with that Twitter handle's association with a political figure, which I believe Sebastian Gorka is. So then it gets us into this next level of conversation, which is how politicized are these 
uh, entities becoming? Um, and, you know, how pressured are they to to tweet support for the commander in chief who seems to desire it and demand it uh, from from areas that in the past should not be political and should not be endorsing and should not be doing things like that. Uh, the Travis Acres scenario was distressing and, and, I, and I fear it might be kind of the tip of the iceberg of stuff like this, particularly with how the Trump administration has made the politicizing of the military and the politicizing of, of different veterans groups a, a part of their MO. I was watching that, John, in, uh, in sort, of, sort of real time. I, I follow Travis and, uh, and, and see uh, the things that, that he tweets. Um, and that was, uh, that was really sort of disheartening. Uh, I, I recognize your, uh, your anger. Uh, at it, and it, it, I think I was more just confused. And then the other takeaway, as I as I watched it, and then I saw the the veterans benefits folks comment on it. Or it's actually it might have been the VA. Now that I think about it, the actual VA account. Uh, but there was a discussion that it was coming from an iPhone. You, they were able to see. Did you did you track on that? That it was. Yeah. That so it it speaks to kind of the decentralized performance of of social media by a fairly large government entity that whoever's running social media for that account made the decision to, to block Travis Akers via like a mobile device. So it's not like, it's not like they sat there and had a powwow and said, Hey, he's using the term Nazi. It's critical of us. We don't want people to see it. He seems to be a rabble rouser block him. It's very possible that this blocking took place by the unilateral decision of some lower level public affairs staffer who just happened to be on the social media watch this on this particular night for this organization. It's been pretty Wait, disturbing. I don't want to come to the defense of the you know the action here because i I would say I agree with you know ninety nine percent of what you said, but I've also run social media for a pretty large and decentralized organization and I and people that work for me have made dumb mistakes, uh, all with the best of intentions, right? So mm -hmm. um, I, I do think it goes back to though what we talked about in segment one. I hate to keep beating this drum, right? No, go ahead. Why, why thank Sebastian Gorka? Why, right? I mean, like, what does that really have to do with the mission of the VA? And, and I don't, like, regardless of what you think of Sebastian Gorka, like, it, it is, as, as you said, John, I mean, he, he is a lightning rod on, on both sides. And so, I mean, it would be the same as, like, thanking, I, I don't know, some sort of controversial. Stormy figure. Daniels. You know, like, what if, <laughs> hey, thanks, Stormy Daniels, for supporting the troops. Well, like, right, what, what, whatever. I mean, like, the, the point of that, the point of that, Twitter account and the point of that communication effort is to be a voice on veterans benefits, not to kiss the ass of influencers that thankfully decide to support as, as well. So, I mean, to me, the, the bigger issue is how veterans and veterans issues have become pawns and whether that's like commercial pawns and like come get your free cup of coffee so that you spend a bunch of other stuff at our restaurant or whether it's political pawns, as you alluded to on kind of both sides of the aisle, it really is problematic because I think the larger issues, whether it's veterans care or decisions that go into like how to treat veterans at a, at a national level or whether it's like national security decisions, um, they get lost in the shuffle of the using of veterans as pawns. 
Chris, you just brought up a, a, a very important topic to me personally. Uh, you're talking about veterans and, and, and care, veterans health care. Um, John, you've been retired now, I guess, just over two years. Can you tell me how you found it uh, in terms of navigating uh, the healthcare system as a civilian coming out of uh, 20 plus years in the Navy? Uh, difficult, uh, easy, what, what was your take on it? I have zero, all of this said, I'm gonna sound like I'm perjuring myself here. Uh, I, I've had not a single complaint about the communication I've received from the VA, the navigating of my transition from being an active duty military member, um, you know, with healthcare. Right. Uh, you know, ironically, I, I just had shoulder surgery that the Naval Academy football team doctor performed. And, and I just came this morning from my physical therapy session, which was in the walls, within the walls of Bancroft Hall. Uh, at the Naval Academy, I made the choice uh, as I transitioned to still be seen by my primary care doctor, uh, you know, at the health clinic in Annapolis and, and not go out into the system, probably because I was just a little bit afraid of the system. Um, and it was made, you know, through tap briefings and preparation for retirement and other information that I found online. It, it was made to seem like a pretty seamless transition to just keep your you know, keep your primary care at the clinic you were going to as an active duty service member. Now that's harder for retirees and people who don't live that close to a military installation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, so that, that's a degree of difficulty that, that others have to navigate and that I didn't, but in, in wrapping it up, yeah, I've, I've been very pleased with the communication I received as I was transitioning, the determination of my VA disability rating, the, the uh, information about my health. It, it's, it's, been, it's been very good, um, but I think that we are the benefactors in the here and now of, of a system that was so jacked up and to a lot of veterans out there is still very jacked up. I spoke at a veterans event at Villanova University last night, um, and a lot of Vietnam era and early 1980s veterans in that room who all remembered distinctly not only getting spit on, spits upon as they as they returned from Vietnam, but but just getting world class terrible care uh, through the system and through the VA up until you know, the, the controversy of, of VA treatment during the Obama administration when, when Eric Shinseki was, was forced to resign and you had people dying in the hallways of VA medical clinics in Phoenix. I think that was kind of the tip of the mountain of dysfunction from those guys and they've worked really, really hard to get better at it. I, I think there's room for improvement, but it's been good to me. I, how about you? I came off the DOD scrolls just this past August. I've been talking a lot on these podcasts about uh, accountability. You've heard me say that. As an officer, a military officer uh, spending, you know, 22 years in the Navy, look, no one's going to, there will be no, no crying for me if I say that I'm, you know, having trouble or uh, trying to navigate the system. I mean, you, you, had, you brought up TAP class, right? So uh, the transition assistance program is set up such that you can you can listen in. You can ask questions. You can take that uh, take that class as many times as you need as you as you prepare to uh, to transition from military service out into the civilian uh, civilian life. Um, 
but depending on what your life is like outside of the uniform, you might find it cumbersome. Jumping out there and actually finding, finding a provider can be cumbersome to, to sort of navigate through and figure out what steps you need to take. I think the best thing I can recommend, and I'm saying this out loud for my own ears <laughs> to hear, take a deep breath, figure out one specific direction you're trying to go in and, and ask questions. Ask other veterans. Go uh, to your local VFW. Um, and, and ask questions of people. Where can I find a good doctor? Who is someone that is an in-network provider that takes TRICARE uh, and that I can be seen by? So yeah, it just goes back to accountability. Uh, I know I'm going long here uh, in knowing that you're going to have to do some work uh, in order to take care of yourself and your family. I, I certainly don't want to diminish anything that you, you said, um, but uh, and, I, and I don't want to extend this too too far, but I think that a lot of what you guys talked about is at the root of kind of the insecurity that I have about service and about veterans issues. I talk to colleagues or people that we work with and for about their healthcare challenges. Ours are like a drop in the bucket as compared to somebody that pays, you know, a thousand bucks a month. 600 bucks a month for yes. healthcare and then has to deal with the same sort of navigating challenges. And, and I get it. I mean, people that were in the military serve for 20 years and there's a certain benefit. I just worry. I mean, and it's such a great like look into the root of the, the issue. I, I just worry that as we start to have more and more of these conversations and they're important conversations because people are putting their life on the line and they are sacrificing, in some cases, limbs and health mm -hmm. or, um, for this country. But I also worry that because less than 1% serves and 99% you know, um, doesn't understand this, either A, it, it goes on unnoticed or unheard by sort of a larger audience that could actually do something about it, or B, it comes off as kind of whining or crying mm. um, to those that just have no, um, no frame of reference for the challenges and issues that, again, to go back to guys like Fred Wellman and others that are out there like every day kind of talking about it and shining the light on. So, I mean, it's the, I think we, we hit on a lot of really important issues that need to be flushed out throughout the entire year and not just on one day or one week or one month of the calendar. Great point. I'm, Great I'm with point. you on the last point you made there, and I'll, I'll finish it with this. Uh, I've, I've often spoken of my sort of irritation at, at people, in this case veterans, who walk around with a sense of entitlement of the veteran discount, of the military discount. Mm -hmm. um, and, in, and on Veterans Day, this was you know, it's always that annual day where you hear of veterans just going from Chipotle to this place, to Mission Barbecue, to everywhere where they're giving out like a free meal or a free burrito or, or two pizzas for the price of one. Um, it, it's a great day to, to recognize veterans, but there's also this, this dynamic out there that I've seen several times, um, a bunch of times, uh, veterans asking for a military discount somewhere and then getting indignant and bitchy when that place says we don't have a military discount. Like that place has just performed like some high espionage crime, um, <laughs> some, some great injustice to you, the veteran. I'll, I'll say this for, I, I, I can't promise this is the last time. I'll probably say it again next week. But 
stop effing asking for your discounts. Um, and, and this is what Chris was saying about the, you know, the veteran community coming off as seeming whiny. That was more on a strategic level. I'll tell you on the tactical level, no more asking for discounts. If they're offering you a discount, take the discount. But you know, it, in, in my viewpoint, as I've said in the past, and I'll say again, give that discount to a third grade public school teacher. Um, get, give that discount to people who are laying it on the line in different ways, the way the veterans do, but stop bitching when they don't have your military discount veterans. That's all I have to say. Well said, well said. I know we went long, folks. We thank you for staying with us. Stick around. We're going to come right back with what's next on the horizon. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. Welcome back to Three Season a Pod with Provision Advisors. At Provision Gentlemen, Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Look out on the horizon at what the days ahead may bring. Chris, we're going to start with you. So I'm really interested in the rollout and the early days and weeks of this Disney Plus streaming service. Yeah, talk to me about that. There's a CNN business article. I have it up on my computer now. And I thought they did a decent job of, uh, this is from yesterday, but they did a good job of kind of organizing what I've seen in a lot of different articles. The first bullet in the article, it's Disney Plus looks familiar. And I think this was in, intentional. They modeled it after Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they wanted to kind of uh, capitalize on the familiarity that consumers have with uh, streaming services like Netflix, uh, everything from a similar price point to a similar uh, look and feel. So that seems to be a, a positive. They have the Disney collections or the Disney Plus collections because there's a lot of other collections in there that maybe you wouldn't think of as as Disney. I mean, there's sort of the traditional Disney. There's Pixar, there's Marvel, there's Star Wars, mm-hmm. and then there's National Geographic as they bring a lot of, uh, of content uh, to, to bear. Um, one of the things that they've uh, seemingly put a lot of thought and effort into is the algorithm that helps suggest content for the viewer. Again, building on lessons learned from Netflix. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. ever sort of stumbled on Netflix, not knowing exactly what you wanted to watch, but you know, you just kind of wanted to find something that uh, that fit you. It can be a little daunting, and so they're trying to capitalize on where you have a very specific algorithm that brings content to your attention that maybe you didn't even know it existed. So lastly, there's the complaint. There are a lot of old Disney titles that maybe aren't as... Um, fitting as they once were in mm-hmm. you know, Disney um, movies or cartoons that portray minorities in a different way than they're portrayed today. Zippity um, Doodah says what? Right, exactly. I think what Disney is, has tried to do, and I don't want to speak for Disney, but I mean, this is sort of how the articles have, have fallen is, is they've tried to couch um, or to warn or to you know qualify content as they saw appropriate. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, Disney content since 1920. Some of it is still very much um, fitting for today. Some of it is very different. Um, And so people are just going to kind of have to have to deal with that. But just to kind of take it back, very much interested in the trends uh, that go along with kind of this next phase in digital streaming. And then also just because I'm a fan of this particular content, interested in how they um, they treat it and whether or not this will, will catch on. John, how about you? 
I actually found it pretty interesting, Chris, that there's now some articles out there questioning how much pressure Disney has put upon its satellite employees to to pub this and support it. Uh, there are a couple of tweets and articles this morning about very quizzical tweets of endorsement for Disney Plus from ESPN Sports Center anchors. Like, why? What? What? Why would they ever be endorsing that? Oh, that's right. Disney owns ESPN. Um, <laughs> Got to get on so, board, man. Get on I board. <laughs> so pretty interesting, you know, w wondering how many, how many communications were sent out to people to, uh, to support the parent company there. So um, in, in my on the horizon, uh, I, I've, I've got to put a plug in for the, for the Navy women's soccer team. Uh, who the first time since 2007 are going to the NCAA tournament. The, the uh, NCAA College Cup uh, starts here in earnest this week, both the men's and women's tournaments, um, which I, I always find to be you know, really competitive and really good for the sport of, for the sport of soccer. Um, and and it, it then leads me to say, not only do I root for the Navy women's soccer team uh, to do well, but I'm, I continue to, to root for uh, the women's national team uh, to keep fighting for what's fair, to keep fighting for equality. There was a great statement by Megan Rapinoe this week, which I shared with you guys, comparing what the women's national team is doing to this really rock solid, steadfast, staying in his beliefs effort of Colin Kaepernick, uh, that, that this is what, this is what Colin Kaepernick did. He stood up for what was right. Um, he stood up, um, in the face of, of inequality. And that's what we as the women's national team feel that we are experiencing. Um, so again, I, I continue to hope that that, that that fight that they have uh, gets resolution against this, this landscape, which really should be celebrating how great uh, women's athletics is and women's soccer is, particularly in the face of how utterly shitty the men's team continues to be. That's what I'm looking out on the horizon at. Great points all around, John. Really appreciate it. John, you mentioned Colin Kaepernick back there just a little ways. Uh, here's my on the horizon. Uh, we received word yesterday uh, via... Uh, different news articles, uh, and then, of course, Colin Kaepernick himself, if you follow him on Twitter, uh, that all 32 NFL teams were sent a memo uh, just yesterday stating that a private workout uh, would be held for Kaepernick in Atlanta this coming Saturday. Um, this uh, session will include an on-field workout. Uh, it will be conducted by league uh, scouting personnel. Uh, it will uh, also include an interview with team representatives. Uh, although all 32 teams were invited, uh, the attendance is not mandatory. Uh, this workout and interview uh, will not be open to any media members. Uh, and also, um, the NFL doesn't have uh, a gauge at this moment about how many uh, participants uh, will come uh, from those 32 teams. Uh, they said that the session, however, uh, will be videotaped and sent to anyone who does not attend. Uh, we know Kaepernick has, I guess it's just been over, gosh, it's been over a thousand days uh, that Kaepernick has not been in the NFL uh, for reasons, uh, <laughs> reasons that, well, uh, some, some people, some people will say due to football uh, readiness or football acumen. Uh, for me personally, uh, I know exactly why uh, Colin Kaepernick is no longer playing. Um, listen, I don't know. I, I honestly do not know what is going to come of this. I know what I hope for. 
Um, and I'm trying to wrap my arms around why now uh, would this be happening? Uh, I have long thought to myself that Colin Kaepernick, uh, a, a individual who once played in a Super Bowl, uh, can do just as well uh, as many other quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks uh, and backup quarterbacks currently in the league, <coughs> RG3. I believe he deserves to be on a team. Uh, and he de deserves to be on a team yesterday. Uh, I will be looking out on the horizon to see what this Saturday uh, workout uh, means and what it will do uh, for Colin Kaepernick. And that's but Sean, go ahead, please. Go ahead. I've got just a few names for you as you finish off that segment. Brandon yeah, Allen, Jeff Driscoll, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Finley. These are all guys who have like started as backup quarterbacks this year for teams who have lost uh, a number one quarterback. As a Broncos fan, I can tell you, as I followed it very closely, after Joe Flacco got hurt, Brandon Allen became the starting quarterback for this team, having not taken any snaps with the first team until Tuesday of that week. You're telling me that Colin Kaepernick can't help that team? Um, so yeah, I, I'm sorry that he, you know, that he decided to kneel down during the national anthem, but enough is enough. Um, this thing needs to get rectified. Uh, the, the, the blackballing of him is, is absolutely a scourge. And if, and if people didn't read the Megan Rapino statement that, that kind of encapsulated what Colin did, please go out and read it. But there's no reason those names with no disrespect to those names, but there's no, there's no reason that those names should be starting a football game and Colin Kaepernick doesn't. It is hard to imagine. And this I think is the answer to your question about, Hey, why now it is hard to imagine that a league that will give the benefit of the doubt and stand behind men accused of crimes accused of sexual harassment, accused of sexual assault, accused of all sorts of things, will not give the benefit of the doubt to Colin Kaepernick. And I think that the NFL has realized that as they try to grow the audience, that hypocrisy is starting to become more and more obvious to potential fan bases. And I think that is why now they're, they're trying to maybe unring this bell or rectify the situation. We're going to find out. I'm sorry to sound so exasperated. It, it, you get to a point where like everything that you just said, you know, in my soul, in my bones, uh, I know to be true and very apparent. Um, and that it takes uh, organizations, a fan base, uh, other human beings, <laughs> so much time to come around or that, you know, we're waiting on other people's time and not the time of, of, of common sense and humanity uh, is pretty darn frustrating. Uh, we'll see what happens with the workout. I wish Colin Kaepernick the best. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us here on Three C's in a Pod. I want you to have a great weekend. Uh, listen, it's actually getting pretty cold out there. Uh, again, I know I mentioned this last week. Uh, I always want to draw attention to pets, uh, toddlers, and, uh, and older uh, family members. So please watch out for them and keep them warm. Uh, also, folks, as leaves are falling off the trees now, it's getting wet out there. A lot of kids are walking to school. So please slow down on roadways and watch out for the kids. Until next week, be good, be safe, and be better than yesterday. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.